Welcome in to another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me on this fine Wednesday, which means, Eric, Mailbag Wednesday. We take the best questions that we get on Twitter, on the website, wherever we collect them. I don't know. You, you're in charge of this. Uh, and we answer you, the Duck fan, and probably right now, the Oregon Duck football fan, uh, your biggest questions of the week. Uh, lots to get to on this week's Mailbag Wednesday. I'm assuming a lot of it's going to be – I haven't really looked much at the questions. You just sent them over to me, uh, but that didn't – that grammar was terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't really looked at those questions yet, but I'm assuming there's going to be a couple that are going to be what's wrong with the running game, right? Uh, yeah. There, actually, uh, we've included a couple, and there were probably – a lot more than that in our, our list that we got sent over. So it's, it's on everyone's mind. So we will definitely take some time to talk about that a little bit. And, but you're right. The most of it, it's football related. It's some specific recruiting questions in here. We've got questions about kind of the long-term goal of the season. Maybe why some guys aren't or you're not playing as much. Um, so a good variety today. Uh, Real quick though. I want to, yes. I want to hijack this. Oh, let's do it. Take it over. It, I, I'd like to have us discuss this question because should an Oregon fan be upset or focus more on the negatives than the positives of this win at Stanford? Because, look, like, I'm having a hard time. Yeah, did the offense struggle at times? Yes. Did the offense look look dominant at times? Yes. Could they have taken more chances and been aggressive? Yes. But at the exact same time, Oregon just went – into a situation where, look, how many road wins in the last four or five years has this program had? Four or five? How many times has Stanford won in a row against Oregon? Three? Um, and they've gone down into Palo Alto, and they won by not only ten and a half, which was what the spread was at, but they covered. They It was a two-score win, a 15-point win. And I don't think outside of half of the first quarter when Stanford went on that seven-minute drive to kick a field goal to start the game, that Oregon was in total control. Like, it wasn't a perfect football game, but this isn't college football of you know at Oregon that happened in 2009 and 2010 and 2011 and so forth when you know, Oregon's going to score 45 against everybody. But at the same time, like, those teams didn't have a defense that's this nasty as, and I say that in a good way, as this Oregon defense is. And I just am confused why Oregon fan is just so up in arms of a 15-point win against an opponent that's a Pac-12 rival that's giving you trouble and and you you have not historically played well on the road. You know, and yesterday I posted a story where I said five things I like, two things I'm concerned about. And to me, that's two or four games, and, and it, it wasn't just the Stanford game, but that's how I take it. There's more things that I like right now than things that I'm concerned about. And sure, you're, I think there are very valid concerns. You mentioned them. You know, uh, There are things that you should come away from that Stanford game going like, okay, it's not perfect. They didn't win 77-6 to six, like against Nevada, where it's almost impossible right, to come away and go like, well, this wasn't great. You, you know, you win by 77 points or 71 points. That's incredible. At the same time, I think you come away and, and go, go and check out the story. I think a lot of people would agree with the things I liked and the things I had concerns about, there's just more to like than to be concerned about at this point, you know, in, in my mind. And 
this bye week hits them at a great time to potentially improve on some of those things. I, you know, I know they're good. I'm sure they're going to go into this bye week going, Hey, we're three and one, you know, aside from an, a really tough loss to Auburn in the opener, we've done everything we've wanted to so far. We've, you know, we've reached all of our goals in the last three weeks, but what are some things we can improve upon? And I'm sure that's going to be the focal point. Cristobal said that after the game, you know, a lot to like, but also a lot we need to work on. And he even mentioned the running game and, and we're going to get to that in a couple of minutes here on the questions, but <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, the sky is falling kind of sentiment we're seeing on the message boards, and some of it's just been crazy. I don't want to, like, run through it all because I don't even really want to promote some of the weird thoughts and questions people have had on the, on the site and also on social media. Um, it's just been a little, like, disconnected from reality to a certain extent, and I understand that that's the point of message boards and social media, right, to have these discussions and to put out your thoughts and to – you know, air your grievances, um, and I get all of that. At the same time, I, I don't think all of it is necessarily justified, and I think I'm kind of looking at it, maybe I'm just like a glass-half-full type of person, but I'm kind of looking at it like, through four games, I still think this is the best team in the Pac-12, and I, yeah. think they, I think they can go out, and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they can if they run the table and they win eight straight here to win the win the division and they head into a Pac-12 championship game. Um you know, with a lot of momentum and a possibility of making the playoff. And I, you know, I know, I know there's a, there's a ton to do, but like, I, I haven't seen anything from this team and I haven't seen much from honestly the teams that they have left on the schedule that leads me to believe like, gosh, you know, this is going to be a team that loses four or five games. I don't see that at all. I, I don't think, I think there's a different mentality. Um, I think this defense is special and I think we've seen enough from the offense to at least be like, okay, they can, they can make some plays. Yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly concerns and I don't think anyone is trying to gloss over those, but I just, I, I'm having a difficult time of wrapping my head around Oregon going in and beating a, a, a rival that's won three straight, that's given you fits. You're a program that doesn't perform well, you know, the last three or four years on the road and you win by 15. Like that just, for me, I needed to get that off my chest. Let's get into the mailbag. All right, let's get into it. All right, first question from at Hodges underscore Ryan. You guys did a run through the schedule in the preseason and predicted the record, uh, the Ducks record this season. At this point, would you make any changes to that? And if so, to which games? I will go ahead and start and say, in retrospect, I would have picked Auburn to beat Oregon, so I would have a perfect record to this point. <laughs> that, that, that's an obvious joke. Um, look. In terms of the games ahead, um, I had Oregon uh, going 10 and 2 in regular season. I had them beating Auburn, obviously. Um, I had them losing to Washington and losing at USC. I still think all the other games I had them predicted to win. I like them to win those games. I think honestly, the one game that I'm now feeling just a little better about, having seen stuff develop, is that game in Seattle. Um, obviously, that's going to be the next tough road test. Oregon plays at home until they play that game. Um, and we saw some stuff at Stanford that I thought was really impressive. And honestly, I thought they played really well in Dallas in what is basically a road environment or certainly not a home environment. Um, my concerns with that road stuff feel a little bit better. And I have not been all that impressed with Washington to this point. I think they beat, they beat BYU pretty impressively. I, I came away kind of going like, that was impressive. You know, there's been some teams in this conference that haven't obviously had success against BYU. Um, but I think that's a game now that – you know, I'm feeling more like a coin flip game. I thought that was maybe 60-40, you know, 65-35 Washington preseason. Now I think, or I really think Oregon has a good chance to win that game. And if they do, to me, and they take care of business in those other games, that just puts, they, Oregon wins a division basically without question at that point. What about you, Matt? 
I think I was very high on on Arizona State beating Oregon. I think that's going to be – I'm leaning the other direction now. Um, more so, I thought ASU's offense would come out of the jump looking a lot better than Agreed. than what they have looked like through the first four games of the football season. I mean, I, I have them – I had Oregon beating Auburn. That obviously didn't happen. I also had Oregon losing at Arizona State. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking that – I was thinking going into the year that Arizona State's offense was going to be pretty prolific in terms of points. And, you know, they had Eno Benjamin. They had a couple, you know, solid pieces on the outside at receiver and, you know, really five-star quarterback, freshman quarterback coming in. And, sure, there's going to be growing pains. You know, a game like Michigan State was probably going to give him, you know, struggles, and it did. But, you know, they scored their season-high points week four against Colorado, and it was 31. And they'd previously played teams like Kent State and Sacramento State and only scored 30 and 19. Um, Jaden Daniels hasn't been terrible. Uh, He's thrown for 1,000 yards. He's completing 61% of his passes. But he's only thrown for five touchdowns. Um, he's ran for just 91 yards and another touchdown. You know, Benjamin has been okay. His average though is, is not very good at 3.8. So I think, I think that game has changed a little bit for me. I think that's probably more of a winnable game than I was expecting. Um, I think obviously the Cal game, I think Oregon's going to win, but I was, and I still think they will, but I was expecting that to be, you know, a game similar to Montana where Oregon blows them out fourth quarter, the the backups are in. That might not be the case this this year. Um, The game that changed, that's kind of, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I look at USC. Yep. And I thought the off season turmoil would, would bleed over into this season. And, you know, Clay Helton may not even be the head coach uh, by the time Oregon, you know, played them on November 2nd, and that's still maybe the case. But they're 3-1. and one. Their one loss is a three-point loss on over in overtime on the road at BYU with a team that's uh, beaten another Power 5 team in Tennessee. So I don't know if that's necessarily a terrible loss. It's one that they shouldn't have lost, but it's not an, an egregious loss. They've blown out Stanford. Um, they beat a top 10 team in Utah with a third string quarterback. And if I just think if they, you know, their defensive line is starting to come, you know, come along. And I, I just think this game, you know, we make jokes about USC all the time and, and we're not the only ones, but they still are the most talented team in the Pac 12. And if things continue to progress, we'll, we'll know more about them in the next two weeks because they play at Washington this weekend, uh, 12 30 game at, on Fox, and then the following week, uh, or two weeks later, they they get a bye week before this big one on the road at Notre Dame. Um, the next three weeks, we'll have a real clear idea of who USC is, I think. Um, but if they come out of that stretch 3-0, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, I don't think that's going to happen. But if they do, all of a sudden, that November 2nd game against USC becomes maybe the game of the year in the Pac-12. And I think the thing that's impressive is we don't really know what their quarterback situation is, like long-term, right, because right? of all these injuries. And yet it hasn't really – the reason they've lost games hasn't been because of quarterback play in my mind. And the reason they've won games has maybe been because of the you know the unexpected quarterbacks, guys who weren't really expected to be in these spots, playing at a really high level. I mean, Matt Fink, Matt and I watched most of that game uh, at a BJ's restaurant at, <laughs> on Friday night right before the Oregon game. 
down in the Bay Area, and uh, we were both like, this game's over once Fink went down in that first drive, and then we're very, very surprised with how uh, how well he ran the ship and how they continued offensively to be really explosive in that game. And against the Utah defense, which is for a couple of years now been really kind of the, the top defense or one of the top defenses in the conference, they, um, at least through the air, had a ton of success. I mean, I think it's because of the receivers. Like, yeah, yeah, Michael sure. Pittman Jr. is a senior, and he leads the team in receptions and receiving yards. 31 catches, 437 yards for three touchdowns. He's averaging 14 yards a catch. Tyler Vaughns is another guy that's made big plays with 370 yards through four games, and he's got two touchdowns. And then Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, big-time recruit, 207 you know yards receiving and three more touchdowns. And – you know, their run game is, is pretty good. You know, Bobby Malapai has got 311 yards and four touchdowns. So, I mean, yes, do they need to have good quarterback play? Sure. But I think the fact that, I mean, look at it. You know, we've got three different quarterbacks that have had to play. And JT Daniels started week one and got hurt. Caden Slovis came in and he's done pretty well five, you know, in, in his two starts or three starts. Uh, and then Matt Fink came in for Slovis against Utah when he got hurt, and all he did was throw for you know 21 of 30 passes for 351 yards and three touchdowns. And and you know I, I as long as they get decent quarterback play, they've got the weapons on at the skill positions on offense to be very very dangerous. And that game each and every week becomes a little bit bigger in my eyes. Second question from at Midtown MMA. How would you diversify the run game? I suggest run run each at least one time. Jet sweep and or reverse, quick pitch or running back sweep, quarterback keeper, or a two running back set. Um, I'll let you start with that one. Uh, I think some interesting thoughts there, Matt. I guess just in general, do you have thoughts of things you'd like to see, and do you kind of agree with some of the things that uh, at Midtown MMA brings up? I think – I would almost go to the approach of kind of like Washington State's mentality with running backs. Like, and I'm not saying go air raid, not not even close. But if I were to do anything different, I would use the running backs more in the passing game. I would, you know, send them on swing passes, send them on screens, do do more of that, have them be, you know, more options in the dump off. I I think my, if I was going to change anything with the run game, I think it would be lean a little bit even more on Justin Herbert throwing the football. Um, but if, if I had to strictly do something with the run game, uh, I would probably do – I would let Herbert just once or twice keep it on the, on the zone read. Oh. Just, just because I, I think the threat of that – like teams aren't respecting that at all. And no. if, if you all of a sudden have Herbert pull the ball out and, you know, scoot up – upfield for eight or nine yards and then slide before getting hit. Like you do that a couple times and all of a sudden linebackers are going to have to pause a little bit because they have to wait to see if Herbert keeps it or not. And, you know, that may be a little, you know, that might help Oregon's running backs get a little, get some more yardage, but I, I'd like to see actually Oregon throw the ball more than, than actually roll, run it. You know, I think you can get some, some plays, you know, committed where it's either screens, tunnel, you know, tunnel screens, swing passes, you know, quick outs, slants, you know, work the short game a little bit more and just treat that, treat that as more of your running game, you know, extended run play essentially, um, than going more with even more running, running the football. You know, one thing he brought up here that 
I would like to see a little bit more is, is a jet sweeper or something that at least something that gets you to the outside a little bit more. And whether that's from the backfield and it's just a, a general sweep or a toss to the right or the left or someone coming in motion and taking a handoff or a toss. Um, I, I just think you, it becomes fairly predictable when, when it is first down and they are going to run the football, it's, a, you know, a, a limited iteration of things are going to do. It's pretty clear that, oh, they're probably going to run one of a couple different plays. And none of them have enough creativity to really seemingly confuse the defense. Um, and, and so I, I would love to see some some window dressing, at least something that puts, poses a threat, kind of like what you're saying with um, Herbert keeping it just a couple times to keep the defense honest. Something that kind of makes the defense go, oh, there's a threat where we have to kind of be aware of a different option, whether it be someone coming in motion and faking a toss or not even getting the ball or, or just something like that. But it just seemed like when they run the football, it's pretty clear what they're doing. And so I agree with some of the general points there. And the, the quarterback keeping the ball thing, I want to save that thought a little bit more here because the third question is literally right about that. So let's transition into that really quick. The third question was from at who's the boss. Are Cristobal and Arroyo afraid to let Herbert run? Feels like they don't want him to be hurt uh, before the NFL draft. Um, well, I, I asked Arroyo that question. Go ahead, yeah. I mean, I asked, I think – it was after week after the Auburn game. I think it was. I asked him, you know, is is it designed? Is there an option for the quarterback to run the football? And he said, yes, there is. But he said there's also a delicate balance of understanding, you know, when when to do that and when not to. And he, he said, you know, there's always the risk of the quarterback getting hurt, and you know, what's the value in that? And it's a scary situation because of, you know, the injury factor in the quarterback spot. Um, but I think. So I think the answer is yes to a degree, but at the same time, I don't know if, you know, how many fans were upset when Herbert in 2017 got hurt, broke, broke his collarbone when they was running the football, right? Like everyone. And, and, and I know I'm, I would, you know, just the previous question said, I'd like to see Herbert run the ball a little bit, but I'm, I'm strictly saying like once or twice a football game. I'm not advocating all of a sudden for Herbert to get eight or nine, 10, 12 carries in a football game because remember, he's also getting hit on, on pass attempts. And the more you throw the ball, the more he gets hit. So, you know, I, you have to take those hits into consideration too. So I don't think Oregon should, you know, go to what they did in 2014 with Marcus Mariota or 15 with Vernon Adams where the quarterback is literally running the football eight or nine times a game. And look, that's not Oregon's offense anymore. Like that's, that's not like people have to also understand like, yeah, Oregon's offense was explosive and they did all this stuff, but Oregon also dealt with a ton of injuries at the quarterback position and, you know, knock on wood for Oregon. But since the coaching change, like Herbert's been healthy the entire way. If you're going to run Herbert, it has to be with the understanding that he needs to protect himself and slide when anyone is anywhere near him. You know what I mean? And, and you have to be, he has to be very cognizant and very careful about how he's running, I think, because you, again, the last thing you want is he's off scrambling, um, and he gets drilled and he hurts his shoulder or his, he breaks his right. hand or he breaks an ankle or, or something like that happens and suddenly, You've got a, this team that looks like it's poised to win the division and win the conference, but he went off running, gets hurt, and now, not to knock Tyler Shuck, because I'm, again, I'm leading the Tyler Shuck fan club. I think he's going to be a great quarterback in time, but 
there's a there's a drop off from from Herbert to Shuck. There just is. If there wasn't, the you know Herbert wouldn't be the starting quarterback, and Shuck would probably be given some opportunity to play in you know in real real moments. Um, but it's pretty clear Herbert is a potential top five draft pick. Breaking news. Uh, breaking news. A, a potential Heisman Trophy candidate. Also breaking news. All of this stuff. And you want to protect your, you want to make sure you protect that. So I get both sides of it. I think if you do have him run, I, I personally, I probably would be very careful with that. Maybe I'm just a little bit more conservative in terms of how I would handle things, but I would just, I just think you'd hate to see a situation where you go, oh, we're going to run him a couple times and he runs and he gets drilled and suddenly it's like, wow, crap. Now we're, now we're screwed for four or five or six weeks or maybe he's out for the full season. So. I think you have to be very careful with that. And if you do have him, you know, decide to keep a couple of these uh, zone reads, um, it's with the understanding that he is sliding immediately when, you know, basically the first time anyone's within three or four yards of him, he slides, gets down, and avoids any contact. Because we even see it, I mean, like, here, here's an example of it. Like, we even see it with K.J. Costello. He missed a game. He slid. He did everything right. The right. defender came down and hit him with a cheap shot. And, and he was knocked out of that game and knocked out of the next week's game. You know, even if it's just a concussion, if it's a concussion at the wrong time of the season and Oregon goes into, like, if it's a concussion against Colorado where he slides and takes a cheap shot, they play Washington the next week, and now they don't have their quarterback possibly in that game. So uh, you just have to be very, very careful with how you handle that, in my opinion. All right. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think the idea of running Herbert a ton of times in a football game is stupid. And it, it, it runs the risk of him getting hurt and derailing your season. But at the same time, something needs to happen with the run game because it's clearly not effective enough as it should be. And I think that's the, the, the biggest surprise of the football season is that I think going into the year, everyone felt like, Hey, look at this Oregon offense. It's probably going to be. The weak link is going to be the receivers. And is Herbert going to have the guys to, to open up the passing game? Because if he doesn't, then teams can just stack the box and shut down to Oregon run game. That's going to be pretty good because of the guys coming back at the running back position and the guys coming back along the offensive line. And quite honestly, it's, it's kind of been reversed. Like I feel real confident right now about the guys that Oregon has at the receiver position. They have their limitations, no doubt, but. The, the main guys in the rotation, and I'm talking Johnny Johnson, Jacob Breland, um, Jalon Red, and then Brian Ass and Josh Delgado. They've done a good job, and they've, they've become reliable, especially Breland, Red, and Johnson. Those three have, I think, they can, you know, Oregon can get by this year as those three being your top guys at the receiver position. And in a couple of weeks, we might see Oregon getting back Juwan Johnson, Johnny Johnson, uh, Juwan Johnson, Micah Pittman, and Brennan Schooler. And if those three guys are as good as they're supposed to be, all of a sudden, Oregon's receiving core takes a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, and I think that's something you can't, you can't miss right now when you're talking about this offense is the fact that it could look a little bit different here once you get some of these guys out there. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, we'll come back and we'll continue this mailbag Wednesday. Uh, good stuff coming up on Nots and Audible's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Alright, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Answering your Best questions surrounding Oregon football, Oregon in general, really. Uh, but since it's football season, we're pretty heavily focused on what's going on in the gridiron. Uh, let's get to question number five, Eric. All right. From at JD High Roller, if you could choose two 2020 recruits that haven't already committed to add to this roster, who would it be? Um, I will start. Uh, I think Noah Sewell is an easy one, right? Even yeah. Even though he's a player who – plays at a position Oregon has a lot of talent. I just think, A, it would be great to have the two brothers on the team for a year, right? That'd be fun. Um, secondly, he is a tremendous athlete, and he, his ability to be a versatile player, we've already seen it with guys like Mace Funa, uh, who I think is like sort of similar in terms of how they could theoretically use Sewell, but Sewell's like 20 pounds bigger somehow, right? It's like crazy. He's like 280 pounds, and he could probably play outside linebacker or, or defensive end. I think that would be really interesting. Um, and then kind of for similar reasons, and we're sticking mostly to defensive players here. And I guess, I mean, I guess like if, if theoretically, if we're just talking about a, a running back, like, like a guy like Kendall Milton or somebody like that would be somebody you'd add, but that's not even a realistic possibility. So we won't go down that line, but running back would certainly be a position where, gosh, if you could add somebody out there who's highly regarded, I, especially just to this year's roster, you, you'd do it. Um, but I, I also think, I, I, I think Savelle Smalls is another guy you'd love to have on this team just in terms of the depth of that spot. But he's so talented in terms of getting after the quarterback. He fit in really well, I think, with what's going on with his defense and just add a couple more weapons to it. How about you, Matt? I think I would go with Savelle Smalls. Yeah. Um, I think or no, let me take that back. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Noah Sewell, uh, Noah Sewell. Just because I think for us one of my two guys, because he can play multiple positions. He could play inside linebacker, he could play outside linebacker. He probably even could could play the strong side defensive end spot for Oregon um, if he if he chooses to sign with the Ducks. And I think you could you know you always look for versatility like that. Not to say that um, Savelle Smalls isn't an ath- you know an athlete and a guy that can play multiple spots. Um, I, I think he can, but I think Sewell is just a little bit better uh, at doing that. Now, if I was going to take a guy that was uncommitted, um, and if I had, if I could just go out there and pick a player that that's not committed to Oregon right now that that has an Oregon offer, um, I would probably find someone on the offensive side of the football like a, like a Jalen McMillan, a receiver who's committed to UW out of Fresno. I think he could help Oregon at the receiver position, or a G Scott, uh, another receiver from the Washington area who's committed to Ohio State. But those two guys are currently committed, so I would I would shy away from that. And um I I think Oregon had a chance to 
to, to be a player. They just kind of ran out of room with this guy. But I think he would be really interesting to watch in this offense, and that's running back Daniel Nagata. He's a four-star recruit out of Folsom, Northern California, top 60 player in the country, the number two all-purpose back. He's not a big dude. He's only 5'9", 180 pounds, but he is electric, a lot like Jalen Red. And I, I, I just think Oregon's skill positions, they need more guys that are just electric, right? Like just a simple playmaker. Maybe he plays running back. Maybe he plays in the slot. Maybe he plays just receiver. You know, I don't know, but I think – I think a Daniel Nagata, it's a, it's, a, it's a deal where Oregon just didn't have room for him because of the, the, the class size. But going back and seeing what this look, this team looks this team looks like right now, he might be a guy I, I would consider going out and, and and bringing in, and he could help Oregon play right away right now. But I I think you have to find someone on the offensive side of the football if we're looking at someone that's non-committed, right. you know, to Oregon right now. If we're if we're talking if we include the guys that are committed to Oregon. I think the obvious choice is Johnny Johnson. I mean, Johnny Wilson at receiver. Yeah, six six two twenty five. He he's committed to the Ducks right now. He's top sixty player in the country, ninth best receiver. You know, just gives Justin Herbert just another weapon to, to use on the offensive side of the football. And, and if we're if we're even stretching it a little bit further, I think Seven McGee as as a running back from 2021 class who has talked about reclassing to 2020. If you could have him on this year's roster, just like you were talking about Nagata a second ago, just someone electric in the open field. I agree. Um, just like we were talking about a minute ago, just about how to diversify that run game. I, there there is a, some there's a missing element in terms of the explosiveness, right, on, on this run game, especially finding ways to get someone like Seven McGee or, or, or Nagata or someone someone like that involved a little bit more. Maybe it is maybe more like Jalen Red coming around on jet sweeps and stuff, but uh, they, there is that lack of that element. And that was, you know, something that we've seen a lot historically with this program. Um, but it does seem like it's sort of lacking right now. All right. Our sixth question comes from at Bruce D. Shelby with Schooler missing four, missing four games and being arguably our best special teams player. Do you think the Ducks might consider playing him four games this year and bring him back in 2020? Um, I don't think that's realistic to expect that, to be honest with you. Uh, there's eight games left in his senior season, possibly a conference championship game and then a bowl game. He could play ten more games, and if he's healthy and ready by the California game, I don't see why you wouldn't play him. I, I know maybe there's some long-term benefits of having him around the program. I know he's a great team player. You mentioned his special team's success. Um, he's, I think, a valuable player at wide receiver as well, but I don't know why you would, if you have a chance to play him eight to 10 games, but you only play him four, that seems sort of misguided in my opinion. You agree, Matt? Yeah. There, there's no chance he redshirts unless his injury lingers and he can't, he can't play the full season because of an injury. Like there, he's too important to not do that. I think we're in agreement on that one. The seventh question from at Kevin one seven. There's a lot of numbers here, Kevin. One seven <laughs> one four six eight four four. Um, that's clearly, just Kevin. Yeah, this, this question comes from Kevin, and uh, he's got a lot of. I hope that's not like his social security number. Uh, <laughs> I've watched. I've watched every game this season, and Warmack keeps having bad games. Is it time for the coaches to make a change? First, I'd like to see Stephen Jones replace him, bigger body and more athletic. Um, I, I I don't want to like say that they should remove Dallas Wormack from the starting lineup. I feel like that's very hard. That's such harsh words. And he's a senior and he's a player who's obviously got a lot of experience and, uh, you know, you have a lot of respect for him. I think Stephen Jones is a really intriguing player though. Maybe, maybe rather than focusing on Dallas Wormack not being 
what he, you know, or not being a, a very good player or whatever you want to say about him. Just focus on the fact that I think the upside with Stephen Jones going forward is very tantalizing. Um, I'll be very curious to see if they use him at guard, if they use him at tackle going forward. Um, and maybe what we should do instead, Matt, just to make it a little, kind of an interesting, we'll pivot here a little bit, is talk about next year's offensive line. I know we're jumping ahead here, but Oregon is losing four senior starters, a sixth guy in Aiello who started a lot of games at Oregon. Maybe we should mention kind of like how we see that possibly playing out next year, because I do think that becomes one of the big question marks for next year, right? So like, obviously, Penny Sewell's back for next year. He's, you, you put him in and, you know, Sharpie at left tackle. Where would you go, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle? Well, first let me address the, the question, because I want to touch on this. Pro Football Focus graded him as one of the best offensive linemen this past week in the Pac-12. So I don't – I mean, I, I trust those guys pretty well. Um, don't necessarily think that question is 100% accurate. Like, do I think he has games where he doesn't play well? Sure, but everyone does, right? I mean, he's he's probably – on the radar for the NFL, but he's not at the same level as a Shane Lemieux, Throckmorton, or a Jake Hansen, or a Penny Sewell. And I think he would probably be willing to admit that as well. Um, that being said, we do see Stephen Jones get rotated in there quite a bit. So yeah. I, I think you know the coaches see something in Jones. I think that speaks more about Jones than it does about Warmack and that he's forcing Oregon's coaches to throw him in there because he's that good. Um, now for next season, obviously Penne is your left tackle. I think Stephen Jones becomes probably your right tackle. Um, I, think, I think so too. And and then after that, it's going to be up in the air a little bit because where does Malasala fit? Probably at right guard. Alex Forsyth is probably going to be your left guard, maybe your center. Um, but then I don't know. The, the center position is going to be really interesting for Oregon because – Forsyth can play that position. He was the second-string center going into Stanford. Ryan Walk, though, is listed on the depth chart. Dawson Derlumo, a redshirt freshman, is also a guy that gets a lot of time at the center position. Um, but then Oregon also went in, and they've landed a junior college commitment uh, from an offensive lineman, TJ Bass, that can play the center spot. And I think when you go out and you do something like that, that tells me that you're not 100% sold on whoever is the backup at center for, or the, you know, maybe the leading candidate for, for next year. And, and at, at worst, you're showing up your debt at the center position. Um, Bass would not come to Oregon, I don't think, if he didn't have an idea or a hope that he was going to earn some playing time. Maybe not as a starter, but at least play. Um, so I think the center position adds a lot of intrigue and because of, the guys that are in the picture to, to play that spot, whether that's Forsyth, whether that's Walk, whether that's Dawson, you could see a couple, you know, guys rotate over. My wonder though is, is how good is Jonah Tulano going to be? Because if Jonah is legit, like we think, that allows Stephen Jones to play right guard, which I think he's better suited for. And then all of a sudden you've got Malasala at left guard, you've got Stephen Jones at right guard, Jonah at right tackle, Penny Su at left tackle, and then you're just forced to figuring out the center spot, which has a couple guys in the mix. I'm with you. I think the center spot is is where it all comes down to. You know, if it if it ends up being TJ Bass, who, like we've said, is a junior college player who 
who could do the, who could play that spot, that, that, then that probably changes some things. But if it ends up being like an Alex Forsythe, who we also have kind of penciled in here, maybe at left guard, um, that changes things as well. And I, I think the thing that's exciting is there's a wealth of talent here. I think it's going to be a really strong offensive line for the foreseeable future. Obviously, when you have a head football coach like Mario Cristobal, who that's his background and kind of his baby, and he still takes a lot of ownership over it. It, it, the, the offensive line play should still be good, and with a guy like Penny Stewart left tackle, who I think has a chance to be to go down as maybe the best, the best ever in Oregon. Man, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I just kind of wrote something saying something similar in my in the story I mentioned earlier. The five things I liked, and one of the things was just how great Penny Stewart's been. So, the future of that position is, remains very bright. I think it'll be interesting to see how some of it plays out. Again, I think you feel pretty good about obviously Penny at left tackle, Malasala and Forsyth and Jones are guys that feel pretty. Those are kind of the next wave of guys. And then you've got Jonah, who we don't really know kind of what his status is. Is he going to be kind of ready yet? If he's ready, that changes things um, some more. And then there's a bunch of guys who we haven't even mentioned who are also going to be battling for, for spots too. So be an exciting thing. Interesting to see how it plays out. But, um, again, the future remains very, very bright at that spot. Last question comes from at I am a bot 1989. Uh, <laughs> interesting name uh, uh, here from from this last question asker. Uh, question is, why are we not seeing DJ Johnson, or more of DJ Johnson, should say? Starting to think there are other problems because he's a force when he's in there, but he doesn't get much playing time. Uh, it's been an interesting season for DJ Johnson, right? I mean, he, he didn't play at all in the opener against Auburn. The next game, he had maybe the best game from an Oregon defensive lineman all season, at least statistically, against Nevada. Seven tackles, three for loss, a couple sacks, forced fumble. Uh, really made some plays, really looked like he was somebody who, like, frankly, could have won some Pac-12 honors, right? He could have been, like, maybe the Pac-12 right. defensive lineman of the week, could have been Pac-12 defensive player of the week, maybe just because of the stats he put up. And we haven't really seen a whole lot of him since. And uh, I don't necessarily want to run down a conspiracy theory of why he's not playing, but I do think it needs to be at least acknowledged that it is sort of interesting that he went from not playing against Auburn to, oh, we got to play him a little bit more, to playing a ton the next week and having a really a big role in that game to then being rather quiet now for a couple of weeks and you get into conference play here and you just kind of wonder, is he going to be somebody who is a factor or is he going to be more of what we've seen in three of the four games where he's maybe playing five to ten snaps, but he's just not out there very much? I mean, like, is there, I mean, is it because he's not playing? Is that because, does that just mean he's, there's something wrong with him or is that, <coughs> excuse me. Or is that more of an indictment of how good guys like Bryson Young and Mace Funa and you know some of the other outside linebacker defensive end body type guys, KT, Gus Cumberlander, like it, I don't necessarily think it's that DJ Johnson isn't doing enough or that you know he's not living up to expectations. I mean, I think it's a sign that. Oregon's getting tremendous play from some guys on the outside. And quite honestly, everyone just can't play 30 snaps. Like, that's just the reality. And I know DJ Johnson was hyped up by some, you know, when he signed uh, back in 2019 as this guy that was going to – or 2018 that was going to just be this, you know, game-changing commitment and, you know, have the impact. Well, guess what? Since since he committed – Guys on Oregon's roster have gotten better, in particular Bryson Young, and Oregon has went out and they went out and signed two players that were highly rated recruits that played his position in KT and Mace Funa, and 
it, it's just unfortunate for DJ Johnson that KT and Funa are, are as good as advertised. And you've also got Lamar Winston who's out there who I would take every day of the week over DJ Johnson because of Winston's production over a three year period at Oregon. So I don't necessarily think that it's DJ Johnson struggling or the coaches just aren't playing him. Like I think there's just guys that are higher up on the depth chart that are worth playing more than he is. I, I would second that part too. Just that it's not like he's a really good defensive end or edge rusher and there's no other good defensive ends and edge rushers on this team. And it's like, he seems so clearly better than everybody else. I haven't gotten that sense. I thought he made some really big plays against Nevada, but I also didn't come away being like, well, there's your guy. There's the top guy on the team. No one else is as good as him. Um, I think this is, again, I think it's a number of things, but I think it'll be interesting to see what his value, or not his value, but how much he's used going forward ends up being. Is he going to be a guy who plays a lot, or is he not? And if he isn't, that, I think, speaks to a number of things, a lot of which can be like what you just said, that, Oregon happens to have a lot of really good players that play similar positions to him, and that makes it difficult for him to see the field. I mean, this is just – I mean, it's just like in basketball. Like, everyone's not going to play 25 minutes a game and average 15 points. Like, in football, every guy is not going to play a ton of snaps. Eventually, you can rotate as much as you want, but eventually there's going to be a guy that's just not going to play. And when you are big-time programs that Oregon's trying to get back to being – like an Alabama, like a Clemson, like a like a uh, like a Florida, like an Ohio State, like a Michigan, an Oklahoma. You go down the list, and an Auburn even. And these schools, they recruit elite players every single year. And you're gonna have guys that were big time recruits coming out of high school that are four star prospects that are top 100 guys that don't play. Because they recruit so well. And that's, that is a very good problem to have. Uh, you know, every coach in the country would take that problem. And right now at the outside linebacker spot, that's kind of where Oregon is at, right? Like, I mean, just look at their linebackers right now. They start Bryson Young and I, I think anyone who has watched this football team this season, they know that Bryson Young is probably hands down one of their, their best guys at the position. And is very, very good on the edge. He's improved. He's a senior coming into his own. We've also got KT. We don't need to, we don't need to talk about much about what he's done as a true freshman in Littleman snaps. Maybe Spuna, the same thing. Lamar Winston is a guy that he hasn't played a ton this season. And we've, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, Maybe he's not 100% perfect from a scheme fit, but, I mean, he was out there against Stanford, and he was making plays. And so if, if D.J. Johnson – I'm not trying to just bag on D.J. Johnson, but if, if D.J. Johnson is going to play, you're going to have to take one of those four guys off the football field. And I just – I don't know what D.J. Johnson has shown in actual games and not hype and not, you know, someone coming out and saying this guy is really good – but in actual evidence of games, I don't know what D.J. Johnson has shown that leads you to believe that he should be playing more than the, the four guys I've mentioned. I'm with you on that. And, again, I, I'm just curious to see what his role, if any, he has this season and, and how that sets up for next year. Because, like, you mentioned all those guys, and two of those guys graduate, but 
Thibodeau's going to be back. Funa will be back. They'll bring in some other players at a high, you know, who are high level players. There's some guys who we haven't even mentioned who are redshirting this year who, who people seem to be pretty excited about. Um, it's a position group where it's, it's not going to be easy to, to get, you know, time on the field. And again, that just speaks to that, the kind of the talent on this roster. Uh, and, and I'll be, again, I'll be just be very curious to see what his role is going forward. I mean, yeah, when, when opportunities present itself, you need to get him out there. If a blowout situation comes out, you need to get him out there because like you said, Bryson Young and, and Lamar are gone and he's probably the fifth guy and on, on the depth chart of the, that position, you know, the edge rushing position. And so you need to try and figure out a way to, to get DJ Johnson on the football field when the opportunity presents itself. You don't just throw him out there just because it's a tight ball game and he hasn't played yet. Like you play your best players until they can't play. But in blowout situations, absolutely. Get him out on the football field. All right, Matt, that's the eight questions we've got this week. Um, is there anything else? Did, last week you threw two questions at the last second. Do you have any? Uh, no, any, I got nothing. No impromptu questions? No All right. impromptu questions. Sounds good to me. All right, that's going to do it for us on the Odds and Audible's podcast for this Mailbag Wednesday. As always, continue to send us your questions on Twitter. Uh, we can – Notice people are liking these podcasts because people are starting to send us questions without us even asking. So thank you for those who did. Uh, we appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the podcast as well. Uh, and we'll be back later on this week to discuss some, some stuff we've put up on the site from a, a four week perspective and a couple other things as well for uh, a Friday edition of the Gods and Audibles podcast on a bye week. And so for Eric Scopel, uh, I'm Matt Frame. Thanks for listening. Adios, amigos.